Hey, before we get started, I want to say that in this episode, I say that John Aston was in The Parent Trap, when I really mean he's in Freaky Friday. I say that a lot in this episode, and I might as well get this one in front before all of that happens, so uh, I apologize for crediting John Aston in the wrong movie. So, uh, enjoy the show. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We, we we have to kind of start this one on a downer as hours before we record this episode, it was announced that legendary actor Dean Stockwell has passed away. Uh, Kiki, you uh, want to go with it? Yeah, uh, Dean Stockwell has passed away at the age of 85. Man, what a career. We talked about him before because he came up during our Snow White episode, uh, which was kind of interesting because his father was Harry Stockwell, who was the singing voice of the prince in Snow White. So absolute legend in the Disney, you know, franchise there. Interestingly, Dean Stockwell, not much connection to Disney himself. He's done uh, a couple of 20th Century Fox films, but those seem to be very early in his career. Yeah, back in the 50s or something, I think those were. Strange for somebody to have a career that spanned from 1945, when he was just a child, all the way up to, I think his last credit is 2015, when he sort of retired, I guess. I don't know if it was an official retirement or... Just uh, he got too sick to to keep working. But that's what, like 70 years of film credits and really didn't touch the Disney Corporation, which is so bizarre. Everyone Uh, does Disney, apparently not Dean Stockwell. Yeah, I don't know if that was because of his father or just, you know, accidental. Our generation probably known best as Al on Quantum Leap. Yeah, Al on Quantum Leap, or um, coming back to do uh, Battlestar Galactica. He did some animation. He was the voice of Duke Nukem on Captain Planet, and he was the voice of the adult Tim Drake and Batman Beyond. Yeah, and his performance in the film Return of the Joker will absolutely reach into your chest, grab your heart, and just st- Stomp it. I have never, I mean, you know, we we know what a a sucker I am for a good voice acting performance. There's a whole run in there where he as adult Tim Drake explains why he stopped being Robin. You know, what actually happened there. And that will absolutely destroy you as a person. And depending if you're watching the edited or unedited version, the aftermath of him remembering what happened that night. 
yeah, go go for the unedited version by all means. Do never watch the edited version of that. Um, it is just an amazing performance. But you know, if you want to go for the the more adult fair, of course, he worked with uh, David Lynch a couple of times, Blue Velvet, the uh, 1984 Dune. Which which I will still defend as worth watching uh, for all its b- bizarreness and maybe not being a, a terribly good adaptation. It is a worthy film, I guess. But yeah, just an incredible actor. I was fortunate enough to meet him once, so kind of takes the sting off the day a little bit for me. But uh, just what a loss. But uh, still, we have the work, so... At least he'll be remembered for that. Go go watch some Quantum Leap. It's not Disney, but man, who yeah. cares? Go watch some Quantum Leap. That last episode with him and the um, you know, side note again, I might delete this part, but the the clips that Allison Pregler found of the deleted ending kind of makes me wish the date actually left that in the episode. Yeah, no, uh, it it really does. Um, and uh, yeah, go go watch some Allison Pregler too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good 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 YouTube channel. Mm. Um, her Quantum Leap stuff is very worth watching, as is most of her stuff. Let's let's move on to today's feature, Mister Boogity. This was a request by our friend Devo Spice we had on a few weeks ago. To talk about Alien, and he wanted to keep the spookiness going by this this uh, Disney made-for-TV family Halloween movie. I remember watching this on the Magical World of Disney. This actually aired on the Magical World of Disney, and it for a while it aired every Halloween on the Disney Channel. You, Kiki, again, we've mentioned this before. You never had the Disney Channel when you were in your younger years. Yeah, I got it in my late teens, so I was like 16 or 17, I think, when we finally got the Disney Channel. And it stopped being a premium service and just became a regular cable channel. Yeah. So you had never heard of this movie. I'm surprised you never saw it on on The Magical World of Disney. Yeah, I had never heard of this film until Disney Plus, actually. And apparently uh, it was supposed to be a television pilot. I don't know how you can make this into a series. Maybe it would have been something. It feels like more zany version of Stranger Things or like Erie, Indiana, but played straight. Yeah, this was probably if it had gone to series, I'm guessing it would have been called like, you know, The Adventures of Lucifer Falls or something. I I don't really know how you turn this into a series. Actually, I can, you know, maybe, you know, Erie, Indiana-esque where they're solving all of the other mysteries of the, of the town. But yeah, and this did get a sequel. Like there wasn't even though it didn't go to series, the 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 viewings of this TV movie was enough that they made a sequel called Bride of Boogity the very next year. But uh, yeah, let's. Um, that's all the backstory I've got. It again, probably would have been just called Lucifer Falls. That is the name of the town in this movie. Very odd that a Puritan town would have been called Lucifer Falls. The interesting thing about 
Puritan names is they went one way or the other. You would either name a child after a virtue you wanted them to have, or you named them after something truly awful in order to ward away like the evil eye. Like naming a child Damien? Well, that didn't have the same connotation until the omen. Oh. Um, seriously, that's where that started. Hmm. But you would name them something either truly virtuous in hopes they would achieve that, or you would name them something really awful and hideous in hopes that it would keep like it would keep them humble you know that they they wouldn't get too prideful and stuff so it it is kind of interesting that if you would name it like lucifer falls you would try to be warding evil away from the town whereas to our modern sensibilities would be like oh well you would want to be like why would you name it something evil but to their sensibilities, they would be like, well, you know, you name it that in hopes that evil would stay away. Um, well, this place is already named after, after the, the evil one. Let's just move on. Yeah. The interesting thing is, is I kind of like that the uh, guy who directed this thing is uh, had already done a bunch of. Um, TV that I like and went on to direct more TV that I like. Oz Scott. Yeah, Oz Scott uh, who had done like Scarecrow and Mrs. King which I freaking loved. I grew up on that show and I loved it very much. Um, He went on to do uh, some Lois and Clark uh, but he he went on to uh, direct uh, episodes of uh, Boston Legal, and he wrote some episodes of uh, The Jeffersons as well. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, so, I mean, the man has, you know, the clout. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of interesting. He's had an interesting career, but this is kind of one of his stranger projects but also one of the ones he's most known for pretty pretty cool mm-hmm. uh it also has a really interesting cast uh the cast in this thing is also kind of a who's who of like hey wait i know you <laughs> yeah take all the actors that are hey it's that guy and most of them are in this movie <laughs> uh yeah for for when this came out in 86 this was kind of a a pretty either a packed cast the adults were a packed cast of hey wait i know you and the kids were people that you were about to know you know the dad was played by richard maser who was coming off of the thing he would go on to be, at least for our generation, he was the uncle in My Girl. Um, so we would know him from that. He was a guest star in all kinds of things like the Waltons and Mary Tyler Moore show, Rhoda, 
you know, so he's all over these uh, sitcoms and stuff uh, at the time. So you just saw him everywhere in the 80s and 90s. Um, He would go on right after this to be in the TV miniseries version of It. With Tim Tim Curry. With with Tim Curry, yeah, playing It. Uh, He was uh, Stanley in that. You know, really good kind of, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> um, which we we love a good, hey, it's that guy uh, for for us there. Um, so uh, did a did a stint as a president of SAG. Yeah. Uh, uh, two two terms, actually, um, on there. So uh, good. Uh, Good union guy, too, which we love on the show. Yep. Um, the mom is played by Mimi, Mimi Kennedy, uh, who is a kind of another one of those actors that you see there does a lot of sitcoms. Probably our generation would recognize her most as being the mom in Dharma and Greg. That's definitely where I think of her from first. I don't know. I don't know about you, um, but no, well. when when I see when I see her, I think of her as Dharma's mom. She did just recently do the sitcom Mom, which was on CBS, just ended this this year, I think. Hmm. Where she, I, I don't know what character she played because I didn't do, but that's both of those were Chuck Lorre series. So he likes using her and stuff. Uh, she was in the movie Aaron Brockovich as well. And she's another one who does a lot of um, guest starring roles on, on sitcoms and stuff. And she was also in uh, a voice on dinosaurs. Hmm. Um, she was in the episode Switched at Birth as a character named Glinda Molehill. So there's your, your other Disney Connection. Disney connection there. Um, so as the the children in the family, there are three children in the family, and they all kind of had other things we know them from. Probably uh, the oldest and uh, one of the biggest names in the group. Uh, you have Christy Swanson as the daughter there. Best known probably for being the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the the film in uh, 92. Uh, but, of course, uh, she was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. Um, she appeared in the 87 adaptation of Flowers in the Attic, uh, Dude, Where's My Car, you know, those, those kind of things. And uh, in the uh, superhero movie The Phantom, as we're recording this, not particularly doing so well, uh, the news came out that she is currently, uh, at least the last news we heard as of this recording, is that uh, she is currently in the hospital with uh, pneumonia induced by COVID. Uh, we do hope that uh, she recovers from that, but uh, the last news we heard wasn't so good so get better christy and uh if you're out there listening to this 
get vaccinated. Yeah, get vaccinated. Um, so you uh, you don't want to end up in that situation. Mm-hmm. So um, moving on, the uh, older of the uh, boys in the uh, family, Corwin, is played by David Faustino, who everybody will remember as Bud Bundy in Married with Children. This was an earlier role for him, so he's much younger in this. Um, but uh, if you don't know him from that, you'll know him as uh, Mako in The Legend of Korra. So mm-hmm. that's one of his other things. But uh, yeah, this is one of his others. So uh, the younger of the two boys, uh, Reginald Ernest, also known as R.E., is Benji Gregory, and our generation will remember him as Brian Tanner on ALF. So he's the little kid on ALF. Uh, So he also appeared in a lot of other uh, TV shows as, you know, just... uh, The kid. (laughs) You know, the the kid on there, Punky Brewster and Amazing Stories and, you know, other stuff. But primarily the kid from ALF. There's the uh, widow Marion that uh, shows up in ghost form. She's played by Catherine Kelly Lang, who is mostly known for her work in soap operas. She was on The Bold and the Beautiful, and she is also known uh, for being on The Young and the Restless as well. So if you watch a lot of soap operas, you may recognize her. And, of course, uh, Mr. Boogity himself was played by a man named Howard Witt. Uh, He was mostly known for his theater work, but he also did a lot of guest appearances on television shows in the 70s and 80s. So if you watched uh, Bob Newhart or... WKRP or Taxi, Remington Steel, things like that. You may have seen him. Uh, he was nominated for a Tony Award at one point for uh, a role he played in Death of a Salesman on Broadway. But uh, he unfortunately left us in 2017 at the age of 85. The uh, other person who is in the movie is John Aston, who plays uh, Neil Witherspoon, the head of the Historical Society. Historical and we've talked about John Aston before. He's Gomez always, Adams, yeah. Always a delight to see John Aston in anything. We last uh, talked about him in The Parent Trap. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was in The Parent Trap, and that's that's when we last got to, to see him. But uh, he's a treat in this. Wow, so, a story about a spooky house starring a cast member from the Adams family. Who knew? Yeah. So uh, let's let's talk about this story about a spooky house. But anyway, uh, do you want to start with the flashback part, or do you want to start with the family part? Uh, your choice. Uh, so let's go with the story of Mr. Boogity himself, as uh. So this town of Lucifer Falls 300 years ago was this happy town where everyone's happy and always laughing and always having fun, except for the town grump named William Hanover. 
and William Hanover hated fun and he hated all things happy. He especially enjoyed scaring those children with boogity boogity boo, which led the townsfolk to call him Mr. Boogity. Sounds like a really fun guy. The only thing he seems to to have any joy for is the recently at the time widow Marion, who had a young son named Jonathan. She wanted to he uh Hanover wanted to marry Marion, but felt that she would not have him. So he sells his soul to the devil for a magic cloak that will give him magical powers that would allow him to use said magic to kidnap Jonathan and force Marion to marry him. And in an attempt to use his magic powers for the first time, he kills all three. Disney movie! Yeah, th- this is such a messed up story. So apparently he blows up his house. And any house that is built on the land of Mr. Hanover's former residence is immediately haunted by the three ghosts. And because of the magical properties of the cloak, uh, Widow Marion cannot enter the house and Jonathan cannot exit the house. So for 300 years, Marion has been very worried about her child and the child cannot get to his mother. Oh, at the time, Jonathan has a cold. So once again, we have another movie where when you die, you are stuck with your physical ailment for eternity. Yeah, I do not like that version of. Yeah, don't 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 let that be the afterlife. Man, there's so much in this that's like this should be easily fixable. Long before this movie ever starts. Because at least one person knows this story. You know, John Astin knows this story. Yeah, as a town historian, and he, at the beginning of the movie, when the family moves into the decrepit old house, he tells them, uh, yeah, you shouldn't move here. Trust me, you, you don't want to be here. Please leave. But he also does it in the weirdest and most ridiculous way. From the point of this is supposed to be a kid's movie, it's supposed to make you think he's somehow a, sus- a suspicious person, when in reality, he just is a really weird guy. He doesn't even know where he works. Because the, the kids later find him in the historical society and says, what am I doing here? Oh, yes, I work here. I, I want to point out that the realtor that sold them the house is a uh, C.B. Karloff Realty. <laughs> can, can we just appreciate that for a moment? Karloff. <laughs> that it was... I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the C is supposed to stand for, but the B. Karloff Realty. <laughs> um, very, very nice that it has a sign on it that said, Not Really Haunted. <laughs> Uh, which, as soon as they move in, gets struck by lightning and the knot burns off. So that now it just says really haunted. But just in the story of Mr. Boogity, you know, the, in the in the background. So it's a super happy town. And there's one guy who likes to jump out at people and go boogity boogity boo. Which is not really scary, it's just annoying. 
Like, maybe he just needs a friend or something. I mean, Marion does seem to want to have a friendship with with uh, with uh, Boogity. Saying, oh, you know, he's trying his best, but, you know, maybe he just needs someone to talk to. And Hanover <laughs> here takes it the wrong way and says, be my wife or you'll never see your son again. But Jonathan also realized that he was creepy, which he is. I mean, because it's very obvious that while he may need a friend, he also doesn't know how to treat women. He seems to not know how, know how to treat anyone. Well, I mean, that too. But sometimes there are people who just need, like, a friend of their own level that they would respect. Mm. You know, it, it seems very much we only see him interacting with children and women. So it might just be that he needed a bro to come up and bro with him mm. and be like, bro, this is not how a bro acts, you know? <laughs> Let me teach you how a real bro acts. <laughs> and then you get him acclimated to society and then he understands how to act, you know? And then he doesn't sell his soul to Satan. <laughs> and then you don't sell your soul to Satan. And you understand how to, you know, court a woman and how not to be weird around children. And then you can be a, a functioning member of society. Like maybe Mr. Boogity just needs a bro. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, let's now let's get to the family proper. The Davis family, who is in the family business of selling novelty gag items. Um, we need to yeet this entire family into the sun. Like, they're eating their their picnic breakfast wearing Groucho glasses. They have fake vomit, eggs that work like a squirting flower, and any gag thing that you would see in your local dollar store, odds are they're made by this guy. The only one in this family that has any sense is the daughter, who yeah, she is, is just very much over being in this family. And the dad has this weird thing where he will play practical jokes on every member of his family with these with these with his products and say, just kidding, just kidding. I'm surprised that you know, the mom hasn't divorced him by now. Well, at first you think the mom's kind of put upon, but at some points in the movie, you see her being in on it. She just doesn't like the jokes being played on her. She has no problem pulling pranks on her own children. Yeah, the, the mom's a bit of a hypocrite. She can dish it out, but she doesn't seem very interested in taking it, you know? Yeah. The thing about it is, is that, I did notice one very interesting thing um, in the in the captions, you know, the the younger of the two boys is his name is said to be R.E. R period E period Reginald Ernest. Mm. They call him Reginald Ernest a few times, but mostly they call him R.E. But the closed captioning calls him R.E. A-H-R-I. Mm. Whenever they shorten the name. Which is very confusing because they'll call him Reginald Ernest. And then they'll call him Ari. 
They even pronounce it like that from the actors. If the actors aren't saying R-E, they're saying Ari. So that's probably where the confusion comes from. Well. Which means that's in the script. Well, no, because a, a movie that old, when you're captioning it now, they would be having somebody transcribe by ear. Mm. You know, a, probably something new. They might just send over a copy of the, an electronic copy of the script, maybe uh, a shooting script or, or something, because that would be easy to do now. But um, for something older that they're trying to transcribe, they would probably just send it over to somebody hearing. So I can see where it would, it would, the mess up would be if, uh, you know, IMDb can get it right, if Wikipedia can get it right, if, you know, you you do hear them call him Reginald Ernest in the movie and everything, you know. It's, it's a small thing, but it, it is confusing if you're depending entirely on the captions the the entire family again except for the daughter is so into these prank practical joke and the the bad jokes the ridiculous puns and the you know just the awful humor and this movie is full of awful humor the tone of this movie is so weird. It starts out with the goofiest humor, and then it's like, and here's the story of Mr. Boogity, the man who made a deal with the devil and kidnapped a child to force a woman to marry him. It's like, wow, this movie went from zero to a hundred. <laughs> kind of wish the story was just to pop that pilgrim town with Mr. Boogity, you know? Yeah, this this movie is either fluff or the darkest storyline. But the daughter herself, you know, now we're making it sound that like the daughter is the only likable character. She's not likable either because she hates the fact that they moved from the big city to this small town in New England. They don't even know who Bruce Springsteen is over here. Further dating this movie, but like. Yeah. Yeah, none of the char- none of the main family has any likable traits. Oh yeah, there is one semi-likable character in this movie, and that is John Aston, and he is only likable for the fact that he is played by John Aston. Like you know, just give us enough Gomez Adams to to make this character likable. Yeah, I mean ju- the the whole thing that character is also just on paper insufferable. But when you watch it, you're just like, but it's John Aston. <laughs> it's very different than when we saw him in Parent Trap, because John Aston can't act. And in, in, in Parent Trap, he's just playing this insufferable a-hole. And in here, he's just playing that Gomez Adams kind of whimsy that makes an otherwise insufferable character lovable. Well, it's not that the guy from the historical society is an a-hole. But he's not likable enough on paper to break through the kind of general unlikableness of the rest of this movie. He would just be yet another bland character in an annoying movie. You know? 
played by any other actor, he doesn't really stand out in this movie. He's just an exposition dump. And the dad, every time something supernatural happens in the house, the dad goes, oh, I can sell this. I can put this in my gag shop and sell this stuff. All this sticky stuff on the on the walls. Uh, I can sell that as, as and stuff like that. It's like, dude, really? Y- your children are scared out of their minds. And your first thought is, how do I make money off of this? Yeah, the the thing is, is that he keeps saying, you know, there's no such thing as ghosts and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Which, when your children are just coming around saying, I heard sneezing or I saw a weird light or whatever. Well, they moved into a new house. It's an old house. I've lived in old houses in rural areas in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Those things make noise. There's weird lights. There's weird smells. There, you know, I get where all that, like, I live in a haunted house comes from. You know, Mm -hmm. I lived in one house where it was like, I was certain because I was a little kid, you know, I was certain that there were ghosts in the attic because every single night, you know, the the ghost children would come out and run around playing with a ball upstairs. And I had concocted all these stories as to what it was, was their squirrels had chewed a hole through the netting in the attic and gotten in. And I was hearing squirrels running across the ceiling and stuff. And we patched the hole in the, the netting and cleared out the squirrel nest. And then the ghosts went away. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it wasn't ghosts, it was just squirrels, you know, like, I didn't live in a haunted house, it's just squirrels, you know, um, so I get it, you know, I, I get where it all comes from, but it's a little bit different from your kids going, I heard sneezing and I saw a light too, we have discovered physical green footprints that you can peel off the wall and stick to your face at the very least either your children have discovered a new polymer in which case they're geniuses or something bizarre is going on in your house either way figure out what's going on and this dude just immediately goes like hey this is neat great i can sell these which if your children have discovered a new polymer cool but maybe at least figure it out first. So after going to the historical society, hear the story we heard earlier, they go back to explain the situation to their parents who are not listening, who are just, oh, hey, uh, oh, no, I made a mess. Could you hand me the vacuum cleaner? And it turns out to be like a jump scare for them. The dad is dressed in a monster costume to try to scare them as they're coming home. It's like your kids are already freaked out and you're and your first and your instinct is to scare them more. And the mom is it. Like I said, the mom is in on this. Like she has no problems pulling pranks on her children, but don't pull a prank on her. And then all of the props, all the gag gifts start coming to life because Mr. Boogie 
has taken over everything, including the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, you know, you were just holding that stuffed mummy doll, and now it is dancing on its own and flying through the air, like, and the dad still isn't getting the idea. Did you kids set this up? Man, it's... What is wrong with this guy? I mean... Even at the end of the movie, after they've defeated Mr. Boogity, he still says, oh, there's no such thing as ghosts. That's like, you know, uh, that, that um, like you're watching an episode of Power Rangers, and there's one person that says there's no such thing as monsters, despite the fact that the town is attacked by monsters every week. Yeah, I don't know. I want to know what kind of grilled cheese sandwiches the daughter is eating because she sees she's the first one to see mr boogity you know in full form Mm -hmm. the audience hasn't seen him yet but she sees him off camera Mm -hmm. and she screams and the rest of the family comes running and she says i saw him i saw mr boogity and he was horrible his face was horrible it was like a grilled cheese sandwich and then later you see his face and all i can think of is what kind of rancid grilled cheese sandwiches have you been eating he does look like dollar store freddy krueger or deadpool he does i mean it looks like a bad halloween mask you know it looks like you just rolled up into the spirit halloween on halloween day and you just had to take whatever was left well considering he did blow up the house maybe that's just burns from the explosion he was at the center of it magical burns yeah yeah so eh, i don't know here's what i want to know about the house though that Mm. they're living in Mm. so john astin says that he tried to cast a spell with his cloak First of all, when they say the thing about the cloak, the cloak is supposed to be an invisibility cloak. But they tell the story so quickly because it's only a 40 minute special. Mm-hmm. So they have to speed run the backstory of this guy, which does not help the film. Let me just say. Uh, so in this speed run. He sells his soul to the devil and the devil gives him an invisibility cloak that then in the next line also just does random magic. And he decides to cast his first spell, but something goes wrong and he blows up his house. Now, because of that, whenever anybody builds a house on that ground, the house is haunted. And due to the magic... The widow can't enter the house and the child can't leave. So just don't build any houses on that ground. Build literally anything else. Build a public park. Build a landfill. Build absolutely nothing. I can see it from a <laughs> the cynical modern, oh yeah, haunted, haha, we're going to stop. Some, hey, obviously someone tried to sell that house. Someone didn't believe the story. I don't know. But, like, get a fundraiser together for the Historical Society and build just anything that isn't a house. 
I mean, wouldn't a playground also be haunted? Wouldn't all, any any of that thing also be haunted by Mr. Boogity? The only upside would be that Marion and, and her son would be reunited because there wouldn't be a house there. I mean, maybe, but then you just have the haunted park. Build a cemetery. Everybody expects cemeteries to be haunted. True. Just buy the historical park cemetery and then once a year be like, oh, look, haunted cemetery tour. I mean, my town does that and it's a huge hit. And it's hosted by the Historical Society. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sakes, it's a huge fundraiser. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's just, just trying to get on with this. Uh, eventually, the, the, the mom, the mom uh, hears the, the, the crying of the ghost of the widow, Marion. She... On some level, she may know something about horror movies because she invites the ghost in. She invites Marion's ghost in and says, no, no, you can come in. I invited you. That's vampires, but you tried. But again, this is where we find out that uh, the magic powers of Mr. Boogity prevents her from entering the house. So they have to get rid of Mr. Boogity's cloak, which would remove his magical powers which will remove the curse on the house. And they try to go up to the room that uh, daughter Jennifer saw Mr. Boogity in. It's empty. The kids are separated. And young Ari ends up in the basement. Because earlier in the movie, Ari has a teddy bear and the teddy bear is taken. And it turns out uh, little Jonathan just wanted a friend to play with and he took the teddy bear. So you get Ari and Jonathan wrestling over a teddy bear. This kid straight up is wrestling a ghost over his teddy bear. Oh, I knew I loved my teddy bear when I was little. Teddy bears have powers to protect you from the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they they meet Jonathan and they understand his story. And Ari says, you know, hey, you, you can keep him for now, but I want my bear back later. And again, Jonathan tells the kids more or less the same thing that Marion told the mom. You got to get the cloak. It's the only way to to end the curse. So eventually, Mr. Boogity reveals himself. He starts attacking the family. They try, first off, they try to reason with the evil, magical, demonic-powered ghost. It goes about as well as you expect. But at least, you know, the first instinct was not to fight, but to let's talk about this. You know, this is our house now. We can all live together. That's a no, okay. And he ends up going after the kids. Much like we said before, he likes to scare children. So he uh, originally Ari tries to distract Boogity, which gets uh, Corwin, Corwin to knock him over the head. With one of the fireplace tools. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, but, it, it's, you know, he, he grabs, you know, like the little shovel or something. And it inflates the, for some reason. I don't know. And they uh, obviously say, let go. And he says, I can't. My hands are stuck. The only smart writing in this entire movie yeah, and the dad grabs the ladder and somehow gets 
stuck trying to climb the ladder, but he never makes it to the first rung. I, this is a very oddly filmed scene. Again, this was filmed as a television pilot. So, I don't know. Ari, uh, eventually Ari just says, you know, leave my family alone. He grabs the the uh, the, the prop the- uh, vacuum cleaner, which uh, can shoot ping pong balls as well as be like a jack-in-the-box thing. To which Boogity turns it into an actual vacuum cleaner to start sucking things up. Uh, Ari runs behind Boogity and the vacuum cleaner sucks the cloak right off of Mr. Boogity, removing all of his powers, and he just disappears. What have you done to me? My powers! I'm melting, melting. You melted 300 years ago. Yeah. And that's the end of Mr. Boogity. The curse has been lifted. Jonathan well, Mary- we have to do one final thing, which is grab the cloak, toss it in the air, and say, boogity, boogity, boo. Presumably, it's been sent back to hell so Satan can sell it to another. Maybe. Who knows? So, yeah, Jonathan and Marion are reunited, and they go on to the afterlife in peace. But... They get one last scare because the dad says, remember, just like I said, there's no such thing as ghosts. To which Mr. Boogie says, oh, yeah. Making the gag vacuum cleaner jack in the box thing wink its eye, implying that he will return. After all, there was a sequel to this one year later. Yeah, uh, Bride of Boogity. Yeah. Which we did not watch. Well, I did not watch. <laughs> I I I know. Yeah, doesn't we that's really all we can say about that's I mean, sorry for it to be a short one, but that's Mr. Boogity. Yeah, a, yeah. a very bizarre 40 minute long Halloween television special. Halloween special from the Disney not the Disney Channel, but one wonderful world of Disney Sunday night. I see, I see Halloween, something. but I see Halloween, but this aired in April. Did it really? According to Wikipedia, April twentieth, nineteen eighty-six. It aired on four twenty, and you have to be high to enjoy this, at least as an adult. Maybe this had potential to be something i get that it was supposed to be a pilot for a tv show and maybe they wanted this was going to be like the first mystery and uh, or whatever else that they were going to do you know here's a family living in a haunted house sure potential to be good but the fact that they really went all out to make this a kid nothing wrong with this being a kid movie but a kid movie it's the worst kind of kid movie in that it's a kid movie that talks down to the audience and like we said the the characters in this movie are really unlikable the only two likable really really likable care three really is john astin widow marion and jonathan yeah 
And John Aston is only likable because he's John Aston. Again, it, the character is just info dump. Yeah. There, there's not a lot to the character that isn't John Aston. Um, his whole thing could have been, you know, you could have just had the kids read the book themselves and not even need John Aston. But you got him in here, so use him. Yeah. Um. Wow. The thing is, is that going into the backstory of this, if you take away the the kitschy little boogity boogity boo thing, which stop trying to make fetch happen, you know, that that was kind of my thing. Every time they tried to do the boogity boogity boo. That that's all I could think of was just stop trying to make fetch happen. That's it. It's not gonna work. Other than that part, this the backstory of Mister Boogity could be effective. He could be a good villain. Yeah. There's something actually menacing there. We all know the guy that. You know, he's, and I say nice guy, guy generally. I mean, I, I I hate using the term nice guy, but that's kind of in that in that wheelhouse. Well, no, he was never a nice guy. Um, even even in the portrayal, but he's the guy who didn't fit into the town. He's the guy that all the kids were scared of. He's the guy that won't take no for the for an answer. You know, that becomes obsessed with a woman. <laughs> You've got the sell your soul to the devil storyline, which is always a good one. Um, the kidnapping of the child. The bribery aspect. Magic gone wrong. I mean, there's there's some meaty parts of that story that just get glossed over in that speed run of the backstory. Um that could have been a very effective story, but instead we had to spend it with the annoying prankster joke gift family. Yeah, honestly, a movie like this set in, you know, we've seen movies like like, like Sleepy Hollow and stuff like that. A, a movie like that set in Pilgrim Times in that vein of here's this very creepy person pining for a woman who may or may not want him and going through all of that there's potential in that making that a real decent movie like i said we get this so apparently uh as i'm you know kind of looking for more information on this movie uh, this movie was written by a man named Michael Han uh, uh, Michael Hanover, and originally was going to pitch this as a called Cheap Thrills, and it was going to be a a satire movie in the vein of Airplane, starring Cheech and Chong. Wow. So think of like like um like um ah, shoot I forgot their names. Abbott and Costello. Think of like Abbott and Costello, a modern version of Abbott and Costello meet horror movie person here. 
but with Cheech and Chong. And it really should have come out on 420 then, I guess. But it fell apart when the scene was, the movie was also going to feature a parody of The Exorcist. And the head of the studio he was working with at the time was a strict Catholic and didn't want that to happen. So, yeah. Then here comes Disney. Of course, they want to make this a TV movie instead, slash the budget, make it more kid-friendly, and here we are. Would that original version be good, though? I mean, Cheech and Chong movies are, are, are good, but a Cheech and Chong in the style of a horror satire. I mean, again, it all depends on, you know, how well you know your source material Mm. satire really depends on how how well you understand the thing you're satirizing Uh, you know we we talked about it with young frankenstein Mm -hmm. that that works because not only are the jokes funny but they understood Wales Frankenstein to the frame, you know. So if you understand those types of horror movies, you know, if they really understood, say, The Exorcist, and then you put that kind of Cheech and Chong humor in it, yeah, I can see that working. Um, but I don't know, you, you get it to something this watered down and then you try to make that like a Disney movie. I can see why this ended up the way it did, Mm. but it happens in Hollywood where scripts just get passed around and passed around. And then somebody goes like, well, I could take this one scene and I could turn it into this other thing. And eventually you've got something like this, which has nothing to do with the original idea, you mm. know? So let's let's ask the question, does Mr. Boogity have the magic? Kiki. I would I would say no. Again, it's it's one of those things of like I can see something in here that I would pluck out of this, rearrange and turn into something wildly different, which is apparently like we just said what they did to somebody else's script. But as it stands, no, no. I mean, it's got John Aston. I like John Aston. But no. Yeah, I'm going to agree and say no. Uh, John Aston is not enough to save this film. So, yeah, that's. Sorry, Devo. This one, this one wasn't. Uh, yeah. So let's move on to next week. Next week, Kiki, is our two-year anniversary. Two years Yay! ago, 
two years ago, we started this podcast. We chatted up and said, hey, Disney Plus is going to be a thing. You want to start a podcast? And yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so What a weird, strange two years it's been. And what better way to talk about the anniversary of this podcast than to talk about something that has been part of our lives for about three-fourths of it. That would be The Simpsons. The Simpsons. It's going to be probably our most ambitious episode yet because we are going to have multiple special guests on next week's episode. I'm not sure how we're going to handle this. (laughs) Nope, but uh, come back next week and see if we're able to pull that off. Uh, it's, it's going to be a ride one way or another. Yeah. So come back for the Simpsons, our special look back at the Simpsons, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at rewatching the magic Twitter at rewatch the magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.